Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Teaching text today is from Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17. Come, Holy Spirit. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned from that time on Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near good morning Folks, you're so welcome. If we haven't met before, uh, my name's Andy. I'm part of the team here. Just one quick announcement. Uh, Next Sunday night, we will be gathering for Jericho, and uh, that's a regional vineyard gathering. We're going to do worship and prayer, worship and intercession next Sunday night, half six for uh, tea and coffee and nice things, and seven o'clock we'll be kicking off, so you're really welcome to join us. next Sunday night. I want to say a massive thank you to James for my water. Um, Cheers, pal. To all of you uh, who came yesterday. Just wave at me if you were there yesterday again. Wave at me if you came yesterday but you didn't sign up to come. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Um, I just want to say thanks to all of you who were part of it, uh, all of you who served um, do you know what we discovered? Lots of you who say that you're following Jesus don't look like you're following Jesus when you're waiting on food. Uh, yeah, seriously, that was, pretty, that was a pretty intense moment whilst we were waiting for some food. I thought it was going to get uh, physical for a second or two, but anyway, um, seriously, thank you to those of you who served, uh, all of you legends who did serve the food and had to listen to very impatient um, supposed Christ followers. Um, but I want to say a special thank you to Laura, uh, who worked her socks off last week and yesterday. Thanks, Lou. So if you missed last Sunday, um, we, we launched this thing called Pathways, which is really a framework for how we grow together as family. And yesterday we had Perhaps our best expression of that corporately, I think I have experienced in the last seven years of Lagan Valley Vineyard. But I want to um, I want to just speak to a specific group of people for, for a second. I got home last night. Dana took the kids home early. It's one of those great moments and moments I guess they were like, I'm so sorry, love. I've got to help clean up. So, you know. Anyway, but I got home and she met me at the door and I was not quite sure how those conversations go, you know, because the kids were a bit mad when they were leaving. And she met me at the door and she said, that was one of the best days we have ever had as church. And uh, I think that's absolutely true. And yet, this thought kind of wandered through my head last night as I was falling asleep of, I wonder how many of you are kind of on the fringes or new to this community that made a big effort to come and be a part of yesterday 
and went home feeling like you observed community more than you connected to community. And I just want you to know that if that's you, that's completely normal and perhaps even healthy, that it takes time. We talked about this last Sunday, that part of growing to become family together actually requires patience. And uh, sometimes we can see things like yesterday, and it only further accentuates the fact that we're not quite in the center or really connected yet. And so if you found yesterday actually lots of fun to observe, but actually felt a little bit disconnected, please don't be discouraged by that, and please hang in there. Thank you for your courage to come and be a part of it. If you missed last week's talk, I want to really encourage you to check it out in the podcast. It's a really important moment for us as a community and how we are framing this idea of learning to become family together. <clears throat> the reality is that the vision in the New Testament for the church is best described as family. And um, that can be uh, exciting or intimidating depending on what your family looks like or the one that you grew up in, right? Um, but I heard, a, I heard a brilliant story. It made me laugh this week. A friend of mine who's uh, planning a church, I'll not say where or with whom, but uh, they're planning a church somewhere in the world. And um, this uh, new lady arrived. And like all good church planters, they went to catch up with a new person and was like, how's it going? Like, are, are you new? And she said, well, like, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this other church, but I'm just looking for a wee part-time church. And that's a true story. That's exactly what they said. I'm just looking for a wee part-time church. And we were, we were laughing our heads off at that expression. And only Northern Ireland, whoops, I said it. That's where this story happened. Uh, only Northern Ireland do people say things like that. Uh, but I just want you to imagine for a second, right? Any dads in the room, right? Just imagine you're, uh, that you have a daughter and she's grown up and she gets a boyfriend, right? And things get a bit, some of you are like, I'm out already. Um, she gets a boyfriend, right? And, uh, you know, they're seeing each other for a while, and, you know, you think, right, time to figure out what's really going on here. And you go to the boyfriend, and you're like, what are your, like, what, what, what are your intentions here? You know? Just imagine for a second that he shoots straight back, boulders brass, I'm just looking for a wee part-time family. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? And yet, when it comes to how we think about church, we think it's entirely appropriate and even normal that we could just slip into the back, sit in the back row, enjoy some music, think a little bit about God maybe, and go back into your world. Now listen, if that's where you are right now, you're so welcome and we love that you're here. But you need to know there is an agenda at work in us. We are praying that you would move from a wee part-time church to understanding that this is supposed to be family. And family is messy and difficult and hard and all those things. I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday, but it would be helpful for you to go and listen to that. The reality is, here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, we do have a vision. For years we said we didn't, we were lying, actually. We used to stand up here every Sunday and say, here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, we don't have a vision for a church, we have a dream for a city. That the life of Jesus would come to every single person and every single part of this region. But, and that's true. But we do have a vision that we would learn to be church expressed as family. And that takes patience, it takes grace, it takes time, and it takes commitment. And as we grow 
the need for us to lean into this idea of family only increases. You see, there's a false dichotomy at work around church that says it's impossible to be a big church and feel like a family, which is absolutely not true. The New Testament, the very beginning, the first day of the church, they start with 3,000 people, and it pretty much goes up and to the right for the next 25 years until in Jerusalem alone, there are about uh, 50% of the population just over. The issue is not how big we are, it's how committed we are. And that's our collective responsibility, not just mine or our staff. We do have a vision that we would learn to be church expressed as family. But we said this last week too, we haven't given up on the dream. We can't. It's what God entrusted to us as leaders when we began this thing seven years ago, that we still have a dream for our city and for this region, that the kingdom of God would come and would establish itself here and now for the flourishing of everyone. You can fire the rest up there, boys. See, it can be easy to live in or easier to live in a black and white world. It's just my family. Um, <laughs> Hello, yeah. Sorry, if you're a guest, my wife's black, so um, that's the in, in joke there. <laughs> so Sometimes, sometimes, uh, yeah, recover. Sometimes we can be drawn to just make things this or that. And the reality is that actually life is much more in the tension of the two and in the middle. It's vision and dream. It's church and city. It's family and kingdom. Matthew 4, which Jess read for us earlier, Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry says this in Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the other way of translating that little expression is at hand is to think is arriving. The kingdom of heaven is arriving. Matthew uses the word heaven here because he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience and the use of the word God would have been a bit of a stumbling block, slightly offensive to their ears. But those two words in this context are completely interchangeable, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of God is arriving. This thing, the kingdom, this idea of the kingdom of God was absolutely central to everything that Jesus proclaimed and did. And just in case you think it kind of ended with Jesus, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this. He presented himself, this is Luke writing about Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then the last verse of Acts chapter 28. This is the last verse in the book of Acts. It's talking about Paul now. It says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You don't need to be a literary expert to see that this is not an accident. That Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, begins verse 3 
of chapter 1 with Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God and ends chapter 28, verse 31, the very last verse in the book with Paul proclaiming the kingdom. He begins and ends, he bookends his book with this idea of the kingdom. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. But what does it mean? What is this kingdom? And how do we get into it? How do we order our lives around this arriving kingdom with Jesus on its throne? Scholars say that the kingdom of God is the dynamic rule and reign of God. What's that when it's at home? (laughs) Or the kingdom of God is where God's will is unopposed. Our kind of paraphrase in this community to help us kind of understand it is this expression, that the kingdom of God is the place where what God wants happens. The kingdom of God is the place where what God wants wants happens. So when Jesus begins to move around the community saying repent because the kingdom of God is arriving, he's saying the desires of God are about to be made real here on earth in front of your very eyes. That's his message. God is about to establish his rule and reign on the earth through Jesus. And he teaches those that follow him to long for that. Some of you will know off by heart the words of the Lord's Prayer, which would be much better named the Disciples' Prayer, but that's a whole other talk. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom coming and God's will happening are one and the same. On earth as it is in heaven. God, would you establish your rule and your reign on the earth where what you want happens all around us, in our lives, our families, on our streets, and in our communities, our civic institutions, and in our businesses. God, would you come and through us express your desire here in this community, in our lives. But what does God desire? Great question. Glad you asked. What does God want? What does God long for? What does God's imagination look like? We don't have time to go into it fully this morning, but if you want to just do a slightly broader read of this, just go home, grab a Bible, and read Revelation chapter 21 22. It's the very end of the Bible. It's the end of our story. What you will find there is this new age, a description of this new age to come when God will make the heavens and the earth new. And what's really interesting is he doesn't say that we all go to heaven. Isn't it funny? We've been so infected by bad theology most of our lives. The goal of Christianity is not that you would get to heaven. It's that God would get to earth. In the new heavens and the new earth, it says that God makes his dwelling among us. It's totally backward, isn't it? I definitely grew up thinking... Church is a bit boring. Don't know if I want to be a Christian sitting in a church service in clouds for the rest of my life. The end of the story is a world made new where God comes and dwells with us. The best expression of the desires of God is people reconnected in intimate relationship with Him. 
verse 3 of Revelation 21 says that we will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. That he will be our God. It's a further step than just friendship. It's not just about companionship. It's not just, you know, Jesus is my mate. God, that he will be with us and be our God. What does God want? He wants your worship. He wants your worship. Not because he's some sort of insecure egomaniac sitting in heaven feeling like he's lacking the attention of Australia or something, you know? Like, you know, there's certain parts of the world that really have got worship down, but God's feeling really insecure because Australia doesn't seem to pay him much attention. Right? This is not what's going on. God doesn't want our worship because he's insecure. He wants our worship because he knows that we become like that which we worship. Worship money and watch how your life becomes completely controlled by greed. Worship your image and watch how you become completely crippled by insecurity, never feeling like you quite look good enough. Worship God and watch how an atmosphere of hope and possibility infects your very soul and flows out of your life to those around you. God longs for our worship because he knows that when we worship him, we become like him. And that's what the world is desperate for. Revelation 21 goes on to say that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God longs for the brokenhearted to be comforted. It says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This is what God wants. And the good news is the work starts now. We don't just wait in environments like this for some inspiring reality in some future day. You've heard me probably say this before. One commentator spoke of Barack Obama's great speech in Cork whenever he heralded to Ireland in the midst of financial crisis. Ireland, your best days are ahead of you. And everyone, oh, it's amazing. One comedian said, great, what do we do in the meantime? This picture is not supposed to be a painting of some great one day that we just kind of brace ourselves in the muck and the mess until it becomes a reality. No, it's an invitation for us to inhabit that reality here and now. If we drew a five-mile radius around this building this morning, your wildest imagination couldn't fully describe the depths of depravity and brokenness that is infecting hearts all around this community. Yes, it's very important with patience and risk that we learn how to be family together, but it is equally important that we do not keep this commission just to ourselves but that we go with Jesus to all those that surround our lives to demonstrate that hope has come, that healing is available, and that Jesus is indeed ruling. And that's very, very good news for all of us. If you jump back into the Gospels and read them, looking for how Jesus engages with those who are suffering, those who are oppressed, look at what he does to systems of injustice and greed, look at how he deals with the sick, the poor, the hated, and the marginalized. This is where you see what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. A constant reframing of who's important and what's important and what the good life really looks like. It's certainly not an extraction from mess. 
but an impulse to move towards it, filled with hope and a sense of possibility, declaring that Jesus is king and that he loves us. I wonder, have you ever asked the question, why did Jesus heal people? Like, like what, was that, what was that about? Is that just, that's how we get to know that he was God, right? That's a really important part of the story, that yes, he was human, but also he was God. So the way that we know he was God was because he healed people, except there's loads of people that heal people in the Bible that aren't God. So what's going on? Maybe it's because he, he wanted to draw a crowd. So he knew if he did a miracle, then everybody would gather, and then he would get to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Except, if you pay attention, you see this refrain over and over and over, where Jesus is trying to get away from crowds. Constantly trying to get away from crowds, and then they appear, and he's like, oh, flip, right. Well, here we go. What's he doing? He's demonstrating the presence of the kingdom. He's demonstrating that the place where what God wants happens is now here. It's not there one day, it's now here. So he says, the kingdom of God is arriving. Let me show it to you. Who's marginalized? Who's on the outside? Who's been told they're not good enough? Who's been told they don't fit in? Who's been told they don't belong? Who's been told they'll never measure up to God? Let me show you how he feels about them. And he begins to heal and restore. And that was never supposed to be contained to Jesus or a few special followers around him in the early days. Matthew 28, that great passage that we know of is the Great Commission. Jesus sends his followers into the world and he finishes that passage by saying, teach them, those that you're going to go to, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's kind of problematic because, yes, there's all sorts of moral teaching in the Gospels that Jesus delivers, but there's also the commission to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. So he says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That includes that list. Why? Because it is our vocation to demonstrate to the world that the present rule and reign of God is available here and now. And the really awkward and difficult part is it doesn't come by us sitting here talking about it. It comes by us going there and demonstrating it. That whenever you meet problems or crisis in your family or in your friends, you don't think, oh no, this is awful. You think, oh wow, here's an opportunity. Here's an invitation to see God demonstrate the presence of his rule and reign. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. God's kingdom coming means other kingdoms going. And that's where it gets a little bit awkward, sometimes difficult for us. The biggest challenge for us, I think, is the question, will we vacate the throne of our own lives to allow Jesus to take his rightful place there? Those listening to Jesus when he proclaimed and heralded the kingdom understood that idea much better than you or I. The kingdom of Rome was in military occupation of their land. 
And the Romans were just the latest of a really long list of foreign occupiers that had taken their land and their people by force and on pain of brutal death for all those who refused to yield to it. And so when Jesus proclaims God's kingdom is arriving, that pronouncement is equal parts hopeful as it is terrifying. This is the kind of stuff you get crucified for. They're drawn to it, they're excited by it, but they want to be able to do it in a way that they're kind of on the edge, and if they get accused of being associated with it, they can say, me? No. Those of you that know the story will see that played out in lots of different places and parts. God's kingdom coming meant other kingdoms going, and that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Listen to this quote from Brian Zand. Mikey, throw up the quote for me. Perceiving the kingdom of God as an actual political reality is a game changer. Once you see that Jesus has his own political agenda, his own agenda for arranging human society, his own criteria for judging nations, then it is impossible to give your heart and soul to the power-based, when-at-all-cost, partisan politics that call for our allegiance. Unfortunately, what I've learned through bitter experience is that a lot of people don't want the game changed. They want to win the game, not change the game. Kingdoms demand our allegiance. That's how they operate. And so as we begin to land this this morning, let me ask you the question... What has your allegiance this morning? Who has your allegiance this morning? Is there a more prophetic and disruptive statement to 21st century Northern Ireland than repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? It's a confrontation of allegiances. Christ and his kingdom demands our allegiance above everything else. Let me stretch this for a second. You know Jesus wasn't a Protestant, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. It sounded like someone said hallelujah. <laughs> you know he wasn't a unionist either, right? Equally, he wasn't a Catholic or a nationalist. There is no biblical basis on which to argue for the reunification of Ireland from. Republican or loyalist, unionist or nationalist, there is nothing wrong with either. Pay attention to what's happening in your heart right now with those words the emotions that are associated with them, how we long to have one of them right and one of them wrong. And Jesus, in his kingdom, says, nothing wrong with either, but they need to be put in their proper place, namely, under his feet. It is impossible to claim Christ and have other allegiances sitting alongside him. You cannot serve two kings. 
You cannot serve two masters. And how people like me, and I say this with humility, knowing that I get things wrong often, but how people like me for decades have so confused these things in this weird wee place called Northern Ireland. Being a Christian means your allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom above everything else. And any time you hear anyone place any other kingdom alongside that kingdom, you're looking at idolatry. And it's heresy. And I know those are strong words, but it's the truth. Before we baptized 13 people in the sea yesterday, which was amazing, the last thing I asked them before they get thrown into freezing cold water is, do you believe Jesus Christ is king over everything, especially your life? Christ's lordship or kingship will not be shared with anything else. And this thing called Christianity and the demonstration of the reality of his kingdom only makes sense whenever we have things in their proper order. Like I said, nothing wrong with being a unionist or a nationalist, just so long as it doesn't get in the way of your allegiance to Christ. That comes first. Let me ask you again, to whom or to what is your allegiance? To whom or to what is your allegiance? Now, it's very easy to take pot shots at the state of our politics and our history, right? And lots of you are excited. Some of you are thinking, I didn't know this was that kind of church. Can I tell you one of the idols I think is most rife actually in the Christian church in Northern Ireland? Nuclear family. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, family was God's idea. There's absolutely nothing wrong having a high value for your family. But there's absolutely something wrong whenever your value for your family trumps your allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. It amazes me, absolutely amazes me, how God begins to whisper to people and things happen that might disrupt their nice, neat family. That couldn't be God. God would never ask me to do something that would disrupt my family. Really? I was with a guy last November have to be careful on the details of this story because it's been recorded, who works with persecuted church all over the world. And he was in a meeting in a country with leaders from the persecuted church in two different parts of the world. And while they're meeting together, news comes through to a couple who are really prominent leaders in the underground church in one particular country that they have been ordered to report to the police whenever they return home which essentially means either the rest of their life in jail or execution. Now, they're in a different country. So the opportunity is for them to go into uh, asylum, and that could have all been arranged and all that sort of stuff. So they go home to pray about this. They're a 16-year-old daughter, 17-year-old daughter, something like that at the time, who was also in a different country at the time. And so all of the common sense says, 
you're not in the country, your daughter's not in the country, you can go somewhere and be safe and your daughter could even meet you there and, you know, you've suffered so much and God will understand. So they go to their hotel that night to pray, they come back the next morning, they gather in front of everybody and they bring another couple up and they say, our daughter is now your daughter. We've booked our flights and we're going home. How can we tell our church that Jesus is worth dying for if when we're faced with that, we run away? To whom or to what is your allegiance? The Christian gospel only makes sense when the Christian king, the Lord Jesus himself, gets everything in us. Absolutely everything. Now listen, I know that this feels somewhat heavy and somber. And I don't mean it to be that way at all. Because the reality is when you get that, there is a revolution of hope in your soul that nothing can ever describe to you. This is why people like Paul say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't make any sense until you taste it. Until you taste it. If we're going to live with these things, Vision Church Family, Dream City Kingdom, we have to make sure that our allegiances are properly aligned and our call to follow Christ supersedes everything else in our lives. Only then does it really make sense. And only then are we liberated from looking for a wee part-time church. I want to invite the band to come up. We're going to share communion together. I'm going to pray in a second and I'm going to ask the band um, sorry, I'm going to ask you to take a moment wherever you are to allow God's Holy Spirit to search your heart. It's an ancient prayer. Search me, O God. Point out anything that offends you. It's not because God's like so easily offended. It's because the things that offend him are bad for you. Search me, O God. Fill me with courage. Fill me with faith. And then in a minute or two, I'm going to lead us in communion. So if you're able, will you stand? Reverence isn't wearing suits to church. Reverence isn't children not being allowed to run around in here. Reverence is the atmosphere that you're feeling weighing on your shoulders right now. Where the weightiness of the reality of the call of Christ upon all of us is made real to us. Some of you are feeling uncomfortable. It's a very good thing. Jesus does it everywhere he goes. I encourage you to close your eyes.
forgive us. Forgive us for placing other gods beside you. Gods of national identity. Gods of materialism. Forgive us for making our own families gods. King Jesus, come and set us free. Set us free. To worship you and you alone. To declare that you have no rival, that you have no equal. That in our hearts, you have no rival. In our hearts, you have no equal. Search us, O oh God, and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to encourage you to take a minute where you are, just before you come, and um, just pay attention to what the Lord is saying and doing. Repentance is a beautiful word freedom all over it and I think lots of us including myself need to repent of some things this morning so I can encourage you to do that and then as you come as you come to celebrate this ancient meal of communion as we come to remember Christ's broken body and shed blood for us we come declaring our allegiance once more we come inviting him to rule over everything else in our lives over every ism, over every identity, over everything else, that he would rule in that place. That's what we're doing as we share communion together. So take a minute, the band will lead us, and then you're free.